Hey, you're listening to the Fretboard Confessional. My name's Chris. And I'm Cooper Greenberg. I'm not Cooper Greenberg. I'm not Looper Greenberg. I'm Chris. Think so. And we're here at Alamo Music upstairs above Main Street in beautiful San Antonio. So if you hear uh, jackhammering um, or uh, someone screaming, we call that growth. Yeah. Think <laughs> of the Weston Corporation yeah. for that jackhammer <laughs> in the background. And you might also occasionally hear the wail of a fire engine going by because for some reason they just decided to turn it up to 11. Yeah. They're they're big Spinal Tap fans when they go by. So anyways, we are here for another podcast episode. So thanks for joining us. Um, you can find out more about us at alamomusic.com and we're just going to jump into it. So I know you have some quick fire questions I that do. you want to ask yeah. me. Before we get into that, some news for the industry and for everyone listening. And, uh, and some thoughts, I think, about what's going on. So NAM is coming up. Oh, yeah. And uh, I won't be going this year. And that puts me in some great company, along with Fender and Gibson and <laughs> PRS and uh, Furch and a bunch of companies. PRS isn't going? My, from what I understand, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying any of this is official. I know for sure Fender's not going. I know for sure Furch is not going. I know for sure Gibson's not going. And I heard i think prs isn't going so prs probably heard that i was going to be there and <laughs> canceled because they out. knew i was going to hound them the whole like, time let us carry prs if you're out there from prs you got my number paul smith if you're listening to this we love you and let me tell you something we could do a, we could do a lot of good things together right? we could i have a prs i love my prs guitar so i'd like to have more so i'd like to sell lots anyway so, but yeah, sales the, pitch podcast. Yeah, sales pitch podcast. <laughs> hey, just give me a call. But no, I hear that um, a lot of companies are not going. And here's the deal: like, this is not the first Nam back since the whole pandemic situation. That was technically last year's summer Nam, which was also not well attended, and that was not too surprising because the pandemic was still kind of going on. Uh, there was still a lot of outbreaks taking place. There were a lot of people still nervous. You know, you were still not having well-attended sporting events like that. Yeah. So it wasn't a big surprise. They did not do the winter NAM because they didn't. Here's my understanding. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you also have to book the convention center in Anaheim and all those hotels mm-hmm. well early on. And I think there just wasn't enough time to get that going. So we didn't have an AM show this January like we typically would. Yeah. So they're kind of doing the Anaheim show in uh, the summer instead of doing a summer show in Nashville. Mm -hmm. But it looks like it's also not going to be very well attended. And that has me concerned. So one thought is it's not well attended because it's still kind of a weird situation it's the anaheim show in the middle of the year the middle the summer nam's never really well attended anyway compared to the big show in the winter and maybe january 2023 things will get back to normal and all of these vendors will be there and it'll be right as rain but i'm a little concerned what are your thoughts and theories cooper well, I it's hard for me to be concerned because I'm just excited. This will be my first Nam show. Um, Sorry that Gibson Fender Pierce will be. Hey, I get to hang out with Taylor and Martin. I'll be in good company. You know what's great is uh, Martin's occupying a space. I guess I can say this. I don't know. It's top secret that Fender's normally in, and yeah. good for them 
Yeah. Because they've been on the main floor in this like weird space mm-hmm. and it's been terrible. <laughs> they sell acoustic guitars. Yeah. You can't hear anything yeah. on the main NAM floor. I mean, it's Martin, yeah. and then like twenty feet away, it's some guy wailing on a trumpet, and five feet from him is a guy hitting a drum. It's like <laughs> <laughs> sounds like arcade fire over there. Um, yeah, the thing is, for me, you know, I'm just kind of excited, regardless of brands not being like you know some of my favorites not being there. Uh, I'm excited to see how things work, and you know, I'm excited to meet with Jr. and kind of experience that. I also heard. Um, you know, through an event that I will get to attend, that there'll be crab legs. There will be crab legs. So, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous. I don't get to go. I'm very glad you're going this year. Yeah, and but then I'm, next year, I'm a little sad. Hopefully, next year it'll be brands will regret not going, and then we'll both get to go, and we'll both get crab legs. Yeah. Um, really, for me, it's it's partly because I love California. I'm trying to get up do you know yoga sessions out on the lawn with Zach Marr and Joseph Slocum um, but I'm excited to see those that are going there's still brands that are releasing their NAM things around the like, same time yeah. you know like we got to shoot a demo for a NAM exclusive GS Mini today mm-hmm. and so I, I feel like we've gotten to see a lot of the in lieu of NAM releases that have been really exciting and cool but do you think any of these brands that will be there are holding off to have some surprises at the show or no um i hope so i always like you know as a as a dealer with a lot of these instruments you find out ahead of time mm-hmm. um on a lot of the stuff and then it's just getting to see yeah the instruments and kind of confirm or maybe subvert what your thoughts were about yeah. them from the initial release. But I, I really like it when there is something that you actually learn about at the show. It seems like that's a more of a reason to go. Yeah. Um, la- not last year. Jeez, it's all a blur. But whenever it was, uh, I guess uh, NAM January 2020, when Martin unveiled the SC-13E, it was a shock. We'd mm-hmm. already gotten a report of what was coming out that was not on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was uh, a real uh, fun delight you know, to see that happen. And, and I'd like, I'd like manufacturers to get back to that. Here's my concern. So some of these manufacturers that are not going are hosting uh, parallel events around the same time for introductions and they're doing it online. And that was one thing during the pandemic. What I'm concerned about is that the pandemic pushing these ma- manufacturers to have to do things virtually showed them, oh, look, we could do this launch for a lot less money. We don't have to take our staff to California. We don't have to create this huge booth and space, you know, with all of these instruments. Or we don't have to hold a dealer event and fly, you know, dealer representatives out to places, which I've done before. You know, we can just do it all virtually. And I'm just here to say it's not the same thing, guys. Yeah, we want to get flown out. Well, yeah, we want to eat crab's legs. But, I mean, despite that, I think there's some benefits that these manufacturers overlook. I think, one, from their dealer network standpoint, people like you and myself, when you are seeing the product, um, it goes back to what I was just saying. Sometimes your expectations are confirmed, and sometimes they're subverted. Mm -hmm. So there are products 
I'll, I'll just this one's been out so i'm just going to tell the story and if i get in trouble oh well but when fender was launching the acoustasonic telecaster i flew out to nashville for the release of this it was a dealer event that i was invited to go to which was an awesome event yeah and we are in this hotel in this special room it's very cool uh i think it's called the analog room in the hudson hotel or something like that uh great place and not an analog guitar though i'll no. tell you that one <laughs> yeah here is a non-analog guitar but um on the flight there i was sitting next to our rep at the time eric Longahan. And I said, what are y'all doing? And are you moving? Are you trying to move into the high-end acoustic guitar space again? I was basically trying to push him for information because they were being so tight-lipped about it. Yeah. And he just, he, he was not giving an inch, not telling me anything. And I guess I said, okay, just don't tell me that you're coming out with those terrible teleacoustics and stratacoustics again that had like, you know, Tupperware backs on them and weighed a ton and were horrible. And he just gave me this look. I was like, you are, aren't you? You're coming out with a teleacoustic again. <laughs> and if you remember those guitars, they were bad. Those rocked. No, right. they did. Yeah, they rocked when the you Fender dropped first them. first act. <laughs> they were bad guitars. And uh, apologies to anyone who owns it. So I, I figured, okay, I figured it out. They're doing something like this. And so then we got to the event. I saw it on stage. And I'm like, that's kind of a gangly Gumby looking mm-hmm. weird Telecaster with a strange sound hole. And at least the back's not made of plastic. But I appreciate the flight out and the food guys but i don't think i'm going to be ordering any of these and then i heard it and then i was like okay that's impressive but i'm still on the fence and then they passed them around and i got to hold it and i got to feel it and i got to see the black anodized aluminum plates and stuff on the Mm -hmm. back and and got to play it myself and then i was sold and then i ordered a bunch of them Mm -hmm. and it was a it was a great success Mm -hmm. there were other people there that didn't but i never would have ordered those guitars based upon a streaming online only event yeah i never would have and so i feel like that experience also when you go to those things you get these tidbits Mm -hmm. these little stories about production or what's going on in the company or the factory that helps us to relate and tell the story yeah and with them the last day is always a public day so by not doing it, they're also limiting their exposure to the public mm-hmm. um, that would go to, to you know the NAMM show and see these things for themselves and get excited and, and all of the additional media. I think manufacturers trying to like control the message through media um, are being myopic. You know, they're not uh, they're not seeing the big picture uh, and, and they're shooting themselves in the foot. And so I'm concerned that's what's happening with the NAMM show. Yeah, you know, I think it's tough because when when we make our videos for our channel, we do our best to talk very honestly about the products, play them well so we can, you know, you can hear what it sounds like and then show great photography to show every single inch of the guitar or whatever it is. But it's impossible for somebody to feel the build quality, feel the resonance. No, You know, just that's a much bigger part. Right. um, there's been guitars in the past couple of years that, you know, we've ordered from these dealer events and then we get them in, they look awesome and they sound awesome, you know, in the marketing content that we receive and we get them in and sometimes quality control is not there. There's like 
yeah. you know, one by one, they're each a little different. Some play great and some don't, or we're just underwhelmed or, uh, you know, players are underwhelmed. And so a lot of that comes from like marketing rollouts. I think with the quick turnaround from not having like a NAM show and preparing and all that, Sometimes br- these brands roll out a product. They don't do that much marketing on their own stuff. So right. it leaves it up to people like us to like learn as much as we can and then show people what they're getting into. But um, I'm excited either way. I know that we've gotten some emails about things that are coming out from the brands that will be there. I'm excited to see people's reactions you know, in real time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would like to go to a show where we could see a big Fender release or a yeah, I just, C. Gibson commit to 12 new signature models for $8,000. <laughs> I don't want companies to be over-reliant on the virtual experience and think that they'll cut it. I also caution these manufacturers because, you know, of course, uh, you know, Andy Moody, CEO of Fender, is listening to this podcast. But um, I, I would say that... Um, the dealer network's important, and one of the things that has shown that to be true, because, you know, Fender's selling direct, right? Gibson's selling direct. Not very much, they say. It's a very small percentage, according to them, still. But there was, there's this interesting lesson that's happened this year with direct-to-consumer brands like Peloton. And once the privacy rules went in place with Facebook and they couldn't target demographics as tightly and mm-hmm. market as well, uh, they're, they they fell off a cliff. You look at their wall street numbers and stuff and it's just in in the gutter. And so I think that speaks to the, it's a, it's a much more complicated thing to engage with the buying public, particularly when you sell something that is such a tangible feel experience as a guitar or any musical instrument to, uh, to just try to make it a direct to consumer thing or to feel that a virtual experience will solve um, all of the the concerns, um, I don't think they do. And so my hope is, like you said, next NAM, uh, we, we both get to go. Hopefully I get to go. There's things going on personally. We'll see if that happens by next January. Um, but that there's good, you know, uh, that there's manufacturers that are attending and they're showing stuff and they're announcing it at NAM, and mm-hmm. we get to have hands-on and hear the stories and the public gets a better experience that way. And yeah, I think it serves everyone better. So that's my hope. Maybe I'm just being an older curmudgeon. Yeah. You know, I think that talking about new product release, um, things that manufacturers are doing that kind of brings us into what I wanted to get your opinions on today. And so your questions, I have no idea what you're going to yes. ask me. So when Pat was on Pat Marr, we did an episode, I think two episodes back or three episodes back, something, um, we were winging it and doing over under, overrated, underrated, and it was just li- a list that he made, and it spanned musical things, non-musical things. We should do a disclaimer on those with Pat. First of all, that nobody should listen to his opinions. Nobody should listen to Pat. Continue. He is the <laughs> definition of a contrarian. So, uh, what I was thinking about is features on guitars um, that are becoming more and more prevalent, or less and less prevalent. Um, I wrote down a list of five things that I think are underrated and that I think are overrated on guitars. And so I'm going to name them off. You tell me if you agree or disagree and why. Okay. I'm going to start with the things that I think are overrated. And I told Chris already, but I think we need to do a companion video. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
because I'd like to show off some of these things and why people, you know, ask the question of why do you love this? Right. If you do. I think for the nerdiest of guitar nerds, some of these might be offensive. Um, and some of them you'll probably think that I'm just being a nitpicky loser. But let's just dive in. So my top five most overrated features in guitars. Let's start with uh, coil splitting. <laughs> Agreed. You agree it's overrated? Agreed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have, uh, thinking about my own personal guitars, right? Mm-hmm. I have a PRS that coil splits, mm-hmm. and I never t- use it. I have a Les Paul that doesn't, and I never want it. <laughs> um, and then I have a Strat that I grab a lot because it has single coil sounds, and that's what I want. Yeah. I also, I have a, I do have an HSS Strat. Mm-hmm. It's my least favorite. I've pulled the pick guard off with all of the pickups repeatedly um, and put like just three single coils because I I think like a, a, a true Strat's three single coils. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's I, so I, I'm kind of on the fence because I think their latest ones are balanced well and I like it. But yeah, I mean, outside of the one example, like it was in an Ultra Strat, mm-hmm. you can coil tap the bridge and have that more of a three single coil sound. Outside of that, I think a lot of these guitars are trying to be everything to everybody all at once. The worst example was, was it the Les Paul Modern or the ones that came out like that, not 2015, but around that time frame where you had the dip switches? Yeah. Like not only did every single pot push pull, but then you had dip switches where you could change all of what it did. It was just ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's too much. Nobody needs all of that. No, nobody needs all of that. Um, yeah, I think it's overrated, and I think it's partly because it's on everything now. Yeah, um, well, it's one of those, it's a feature, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I would, it, yeah, I think it's overrated. So my next one. Well, I will say this, just to add to that. The company that does it the best, I think, is PRS. Sales Pitch Podcast? No, I... So the way PRS, they do it, please just give us a chance. I just I I like the way that they have done it, and I, there's a lot of companies that are starting to copy mm-hmm. how they implement that coil tap functionality um, on yeah. their guitars. And so I think the fact that there's a lot that are starting to copy that mode of doing it um, is is proof that that's a good way of doing it. So yeah, that's, that's fair. Also. But I still not a huge fan. So this next one, it's not that I think this is a bad feature. I like the feature. I think that it's overrated in terms of being something that could sway somebody either way on buying or not buying that guitar. Number two overrated guitar feature, locking tuners. Do you agree? Hmm. Depends upon the guitar. Uh, I wouldn't not buy a guitar that I liked because it didn't have locking tuners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more important if the guitar is a tremolo equipped guitar. Yeah, for sure. I also think it's an important feature if you don't know how to change your strings correctly. Right <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's convenient. I had an ES339 that I swapped out for locking Grovers. I mean, they were just drop in replacements Yeah. just because it was faster to do a string change. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got locking tuners on my Strats. I've got locking tuners on my PRS. I don't on my Les Paul because they're vintage tuners, and it's fine. But, you know, I see a lot of people have intonation issues, particularly if they have a tremolo of any kind, because 
they don't get the wraps cleanly like free down at the bottom mm-hmm. uh, you know toward the tuning post and so then it creates problems and so it does address that issue so it's nice it's a nice thing it's to a have it's a nice thing to have but but yeah you shouldn't like oh i'm buying this guitar or not buying this guitar cuz it doesn't have lock tuners and you can always add them yeah i mean it's like really one of the easiest things yeah. to do on a guitar all right next it kind of goes along uh with the first one the out of phase switch yes same yeah yes yes dude such an overrated like it's cool how often are you going to use that at a show or on a recording i think i said in one of our videos i've got a baja telly yeah and it has a four-way switch the nine-way switch i think <laughs> it, the well, baja telly yeah. so it's got a four-way switch so you can have your normal telly s- set up and then the like fourth position is both in series mm-hmm. so you get that humbucking kind of sound and then you have a, a button in the volume pot that you push down it's an s switch mm-hmm. right which I don't know why they stopped doing those. I <laughs> like them better. Spring loaded S switch is better than pulling a pot up. You can't get your fingers around. Anyway, um, and it will give either the parallel or the series out of phase. And I never you like you can get a cool sound. The cool sound is series out of phase, and you pull back, you dial back the tone. Yeah, and it's a cool sound. Throw a little overdrive on there. Yeah, Peter Green style. Yes. It's a yeah. cool sound, but like I never really use it. Yeah. And the only time I use it is if I'm playing and I'm kind of bored with what's going on in the song. I'm like, let's try this. Yeah. And it can sound weird but and cool, but I just, yeah. It's a one-trick pony type thing. That, yeah. That, again, it's on the guitar and hardly anyone's going to use it. Yeah. All right. Next one. Noiseless pickups. Hmm. I, I don't have an aversion to noiseless pickups. Some people do. They, like, hate them with a passion. Oh, they don't sound like real single coils. Yeah. And I like Greg Cox's joke that you those people are called unemployed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he had a, a video once that I really liked. He said, you know, so you should always have that ringer, that one guitar, if you're a professional musician that's gigging. Mm-hmm. Because you'll do that gig where you play Strat or Telly and they put you next to the popcorn machine and the neon sign. Yeah. You know, to the side of the stage where the guys in the clown costume make balloon animals. Night. I'm not even kidding. I played that gig last night. I, it was a wedding. The power on the stage was not great. Yeah. And I had my Telly and pedals and my hot rod. And uh, they had two step instructors. So we would like it was country show. I'm playing country guitar. Uh, they would we would play a little bit of a song. They do a lesson, and then everybody would cut the sound so the instructors could then do the next move. And uh, I had to turn my amp off like <laughs> constantly because I put it on standby because it was screaming. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so actually, you bring up a good point. If you use any bit of gain, yeah, even with noiseless pickups, if you have bad like power yeah uh, you're still going to have you're noise you're going to have something. hiss you're going to because your gains bringing up the noise floor and so anything that's there is now more apparent i deal with that yeah i can have a humbucker equipped guitar plugged into my amp and i'll get you know coming through it and and there's only so much you can do so i think with that in mind learning what causes that and addressing it from the power standpoint Mm-hmm. is probably the thing that people should be doing. But guitar manufacturers have been smart to go, ah, guitarists are too lazy to figure that stuff out. We'll give them noiseless pickups. Yeah. I don't think they're a bad thing. I've got 
guitars with noiseless pickups. Obviously, I've got humbucker and quick guitars, which, by the way, are not I'm, always noiseless. Yeah. <laughs> vintage yeah. calf-style pickups that are not potted are not noiseless pickups. Yeah. Um, and I've got vintage-style Strat guitars that have the vintage sh- shielding. Mm-hmm. Like, underneath the pick guard, there's a plate, and there's, you know, protection in the cavity, and, and that really does a lot yeah. to kind of hamp down on the 60 cycle hum mm-hmm. but yeah and that's the other thing 60 cycle hum is is very different from the noise mm-hmm. most people experience yeah so man i i have my ultra jazz master it's got noiseless jazz master pickups and everybody that i talk to about the guitar is like ah oh, man but it's noiseless you won't get that tone and it's like it sounds fantastic dude. the ultra i mean the what is that the fifth gen yeah or either way it sounds like a jazz master. I mean, it's people say that sometimes it takes the character away, but it's like they sound so good. Here's the only thing that it can do: you're you're uh, you accomplish noiseless pickups through basically the same method, but it can be implemented different ways. You have a dummy coil, so it's like a humbucker, but it's just as narrow. It's on the bottom, and all mm. it's doing is it's big enough to counteract and so get rid of that hum. Or you do the same thing, but not on the pickup. So Sir Guitars has done that uh, for years. They'll have a backplate that kind of has that wired into it. And Mm -hmm. so that's what cancels the hum. Uh, Of course, on a Strat, you just move to position two or four with a a reverse wound middle pickup and it gets rid of the hum. But I mean, you know, so there's ways of doing it. You can also do it with pedals. Like I have a hum debugger that I will sometimes employ if it's really bad. In all of those, the, the... consequences that you're you tend to have an effect on some of the high end mm-hmm. um, and again we're talking about single coils and so that's where it's going to be affected is that high end single coil sound that humbuckers don't have that single coils have that chiminess but it doesn't like get rid of it yeah it just you know those highest bit of frequencies and if you're playing through pedals and you've got overdrive on and you're going into an amp and you know whatever like that stuff's you could probably lose more through the amount of cables you have going yeah. through your pedal board than you would from a dummy coil or noiseless pickups. And yeah. so, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'd say it's an overrated feature. Um, I think they're good. I think it's an overhated feature. Ooh. I think, I think the guys that are overrated. purists uh, needlessly hate on noiseless pickups. The purists, man. Okay, so last of the overrateds, 22nd fret. Hmm. Yeah. If it's 21 or 22, I don't think it matters. There's so many people like, why aren't they putting a 20 second fret? I'm like, how often are you going up there, dude? If you're playing a Strat that has 22 frets and you want to play up there, why don't you own something that has 24? That's really the question. Yeah. Like, you know, if if you're going to play up there, you buy a 24 fret guitar. Period. You buy you buy a Charvel or a Jackson or an Ibanez or a PRS that's twenty four or whatever you yeah. know you buy that guitar. I don't know a single Strat player that plays like non shreddy stuff yeah. that goes. I miss that twenty second fret. Now if you're Ingve or something, fair enough. But then there's twenty two <laughs> fret Strats. Yeah. So you just buy accordingly. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I don't. It's not a big deal. Okay. So. Those are five that I think are overrated. I got a ton more, but those can be for another time. Here's uh, some things that I think are underrated, and I think these are hard to disagree with, but if you do, go I for will, it. I will tell you. <laughs> um, 
this one's basic, but having strap locks on your guitar, mm. I think it's underrated. I agree. I uh, I will alter offer an alternative. If you have a guitar you don't want to modify, I have some I don't want to modify. Um, I use those strap blocks. Those little the rubber guys. Yeah, the those are great. Yeah, the the big thing is you don't want to drop your guitar, mm-hmm. and the cheap insurance that strap blocks or strap blocks offer cannot be overstated. Um, and I think it's important on acoustic guitars. I was just seeing on Facebook in a group the other day uh, that a guy dropped his Taylor. Uh, because it came off of his strap and my my response was twofold one even with strap blocks or strap locks on my guitars i never take both hands off yeah ever i've always got a hand on the guitar just in case and two if you're an acoustic player uh music nomad sells a strap lock uh kind of thing that you can get um and D'Addario sells the cinch fit, I think it's called, which I have, mm-hmm. which basically locks onto the end, uh, still allows you to plug in your acoustic electric guitar and then connects, you know, to your strap. Um, and so it's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they're very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of vintage guitars, I think every manufacturer should figure out some implementation yeah. to protect the instrument. I think it's huge value. So that one's an easy one. Uh, this one I know that you'll agree with, but I'm sure some people don't think it's that important. Uh, brass saddles on a Telecaster. Oh, telecaster. Yeah. And, you know, it's just how it goes, right? It's mm-hmm. There's certain things that go together. Peanut butter and jelly, peas and carrots, you know, uh, Forrest and Jenny. And I don't think they were a very good match. I'll be honest with you. Tellies and brass saddles. I I think that, well, first of all, I love carrots, hate peas. (laughs) I liked Forrest, not a big fan of Jenny. Yeah, Jenny had her issues. Well, it's not like brass saddles are perfect. That's true. They do have some issues. No, you know, here's a a thing that really tells you um, when you look at manufacturers that will start using brass on a guitar that it's not associated with, like a telly. Then there's some acoustic properties that are good for the, the yeah. instrument. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm a I'm a big fan. Brass saddle fan. Um, next one kind of goes along with, you know, a lot of these came from looking at certain guitars that we have been playing quite a bit recently. Um, I don't think it can be understated how big of a difference it makes. Nicely rolled fret edges. Oh my gosh. You know, we, we yeah. are probably, so look, if you're out there and you listen to this and you bought your guitar and you go home and you play it for a while, you won't appreciate this statement. But Cooper and I play a lot of guitars for our YouTube channel that come through. Yeah. They don't get set up. That's a question we get online. You set these up ahead of time. No, Cooper's just that good. Um, we And when it's got kind of sharp fret edges, Yeah. I don't don't even want to play it anymore. Like you play it for a second and you get through the demo and then it's like, all right, I'm done here. You know what else is interesting? Some sometimes I find manufacturers in an attempt to bevel the size of the fretboard end up scalloping the size of the fretboard. Um, it's like there's a there's a happy medium here. Yeah. Where you roll the edges, but if you roll the edges too much, then you're basically creating a a pronounced fret end. Yeah. Um, I would love. Uh, I like hand scalloped X bracing, mm-hmm. 
I don't want a hand scalloped uh, <laughs> strat neck. No. Yeah. Well, and you know what? It's funny. So we've been playing a lot of these custom shop strats, yeah. and they are a great example. I think it was Ron Thorne from the yeah. custom shop. He was uh, he was on a YouTube channel with uh, Phil McKnight. He does the Know Your Gear channel mm-hmm. on YouTube. And I appreciate his stuff. And he was asking, I think they basically put it to Ron, like, what's the difference between this Squire and a custom shop? And the first thing that Ron said was not the pickups, not the wood. It was the fretwork. Yeah. It was the attention to dressing the ends of those frets and filing and getting the profile. Yeah. And that's why when we pick up a custom shop fender, it feels amazing. Unreal. Before yeah. you ever plug it in, it's just like, yeah, this is great. So quick side note. Do you watch the Dream Factory videos from the Fender Custom Shop? Uh, very occasionally. So I went on like a huge binge the other day. And if you haven't seen them, it's so fun yeah. like to watch these because... Uh, there's some, you know, they t- I forget what the collection's called. It's like the Prestige Collection or mm-hmm. something from the custom shop where every year um, each builder makes like a one-off, one-of-a-kind, very special guitar. It's just incredible to watch. And the photography and the videography is amazing. Those are the guitars you typically would see at NAMM yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, not or in year. the calendar. Yeah, in the calendar for sure. And so there's like uh, Ron Thorne is a big... You know, he's got a lot of these videos in there, and I watched a bunch of them. They're all one of a kind. He did one this year that was like the Hawaiian Dream Resonator Telecaster. Mm-hmm. There was like a Koa Tele with um, brass top, and it was just amazing. He did a, a guitar, I think it was two years ago, maybe one year ago, where he got Stradivarius Spruce. Yeah. Like Fender had Stradivarius Spruce, and, uh, wood from the tree yeah the violin telly or something no, no, no. Yeah. that was different the oh, violin okay. telly was incredible that and like you know it's too good of a guitar for yeah. anybody to own he had the this incredible spruce from the region where you know the stradivarius spruce was In austria germany yeah. yeah was was sourced and it's highly protected it's only fallen trees now but it's like highly coveted spruce and then the tree, you know, the, was it burled mahogany or something? Yeah. The tree, this is a cool story. We should share this. Yeah. So the tree was a specific tree and it was a quilted mahogany in mm-hmm. Honduras. And most figured wood, you cannot tell till you cut it down. So mm-hmm. like the, uh, the flamed or quilted maple, you can't tell, you mm-hmm. know? Mahogany, that's evidently not the case. If a tree is is curly, mm-hmm. uh, you can tell th- from the bark. So they found this huge tree, and they could tell uh, it was going to be this beautiful figure tree. And this was back in the 70s, I think, if I recall correctly, like 76. And it was felled by uh, local uh, lumbers, and it fell the wrong way into this deep ravine, and they couldn't get it out. And so it sat there, and then some enterprising uh, guy figured out a way to get it out with helicopters. So they cut it up into pieces, and they were able to hoist it out. And then, you know, when this was milled, the just most dramatic figuring of any mahogany you'll ever see uh, was available. And what's funny, you Google the tree um, guitar, or the tree like furniture 
and furniture that was made from veneers of this and guitars from Taylor and Loudon and other mm. makers. Um, it, it looks like caramel tortoise shell yeah. quilted mahogany. It's just, it's beautiful. And when I was at the Taylor factory in 2014, they had some on the do not sell shelf. And I, I was like, okay, if I mortgage my house, like at what point would they sell it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's two types of wood, both like world renowned for yeah. beauty and structure. That's the other thing about that mahogany. It doesn't sound like normal mahogany. So you think you get these two woods... Ron Thorne's going to make a a classic. He put him on an acoustic sonic jazz master. All right. There you go. Some some Fishman uh, modeling going on there with those two. With that Shawbucker. <laughs> That's an interesting choice. It's interesting, but it's really cool looking. Yeah. But, like, we've had the exotic acoustic sonics. That's a thick piece of that mahogany, actually. It's... It was interesting. I'll leave it at that. We'll do top five most overrated guitars at some point here. Not that that model is overrated, but one that's made with the tree and Stradivarius spruce. I guess I don't know what you do. Like, I don't... Just make a Strat, dude. Make a Tele with Stradivarius spruce. Anyway, we're, we're getting off topic. Um, number four, most underrated... Um, we talk about, I mean, a lot of this we've talked about ad nauseum in videos. Mm-hmm. Good, high ratio tuning machines. Yes. Something that Dude. tunes easily and is smooth to turn. It's like when we demo stuff, like you're saying, every single week doesn't, you know, like we play everything uh, before you even get to the point where you can feel the fret edges. If it's out of tune, you strum it, you got to tune it up first. If we're working with Gotos or Wave Release, you know, something really nice, then it's like it already puts you in the right mood. Yeah. Um, if they're, they don't feel good and you also hear nut slot noise. Yes. Not a good time. Yeah. It, it's definitely not getting off on the right foot for a reviewer who's about to go on video playing this guitar. <laughs> That's for sure. Manufacturers. Um, you know, what's interesting is I remember a time... 25 years ago where you'd pick up an affordable guitar in a music store and you go to turn it and not only would you hear nut slot noise and that's that ping sound you know uh of the nut not being cut correctly and the the wrap on the strings getting caught but um i remember picking up brand new guitars that were affordable guitars back then and you'd have a pop from the gears of the tuners that's how sloppily they were made yeah um and that's just that's horrible so i'm (laughs) i'm thankful that we don't have that anymore although we did have a new guitar that that happened to and we had to send it back and i was just like that's that's unacceptable people uh we we live in the world of cnc come on like how did how does that even happen cnc music factory (laughs) everybody tune now but uh yeah you know I think for me, it's the feel uh, of the turning. Like you can feel some chunkiness. There's no popping, but some cheap tuners do start kind of feeling like a little like there's there's slop or play or just chunkiness in the gear. Yeah, and that it's a low ratio. So like a tiny turn. What we mean by ratio, if you don't know and you're listening, is for every turn of the 
fret uh, of the tuning key, you know, that your fingers are on, the post makes a rotation. And that ratio varies. So cheap tuners nowadays tend to be like 12 to 1, mm-hmm. um, which you might think, oh, that sounds high. You turn the tuning key 12 times and the post is rotated once. But then you realize, well, some nicer ones are 14 to 1 and then 18 to 1 and then 22 to 1. And that tells you that you know, you're going to get a finer adjustment. Yeah. Crazy thing was on the new Martin SC13E Limited. Yeah. Right? They had they had ratio tuners. Um and I don't know if they were actually were they ratio branded cuz that is a brand of tuning machine. I don't know. I can check though. But I thought they were um Yeah, I don't know. So there's there's a company called Ratio that does mm-hmm. this. But the idea is very simple that each each string having a different diameter tuned to a different pitch. Um, requires a different ratio for fine-tune adjustment. Yeah. And so higher strings have a higher ratio. It could be a 40 to 1, you know, as far as teeth to gear uh, ratio, and it could be a 12 to 1 on the low E string. Um, and that's an interesting way of doing it, Yeah, which I, I have no qualms necessarily with. But a high-grade tuner that's smooth and tunes accurately is is a big deal you know i have my custom acoustic that i play all the time and when i put that together with maurice and eric uh it was way more about like the wood pairing and the aesthetics and you know the feel and all that and it wasn't until you know the last five or six years especially being around here that i played so many different things i started favoring the goto 510s yeah um and i've always thought my acoustic tuned great and then couple years ago i was actually paying attention to the back of the tuners and their go-tos yeah and i didn't make that choice it was definitely something that was like chosen already with the i think i just chose what finish i wanted on them right um it's one of those things that like if you have it you appreciate it so much because also when you're using a capo and stuff i mean you need to be able to get real precise with what you're doing tuning wise so i think that's one of the most underrated um my last one, I, I want to make sure I didn't have any honorable mentions. I had one about inlay, uh, both underrated and overrated, but we can get into that another time. Uh, <laughs> I forget it's on my guitar. Yes. I've said that before. Like, just throwing it out there, buy the guitar because it sounds good. Yeah. Uh, if you're buying a high-end guitar. Like, if it comes down to sound and feel versus inlay, I'm going sound and feel. Because I forget when I'm playing that it even has inlay. So True my story. yeah, I mean you should. That's a good thing. Um, my last one is the treble bleed or audio taper pot. Um, I do. Th- I don't think this is uh, th- yeah, this is underrated. You do think it's underrated? I do think it's underrated. I have um, yeah, I've got guitars that have audio taper pots, and mm. I've swapped out guitars to audio tapers pots because once you use that yeah you know if you've had any kind of guitar even high-end electric guitars uh (coughs) gibson and (laughs) you know it's all it's either all and they've moved away from this right so that tells you right it was either all on or all off like there was no in between there's no gradual (laughs) and i i've said before i use my volume knob a ton you use it more than a pedal, you know, in well, terms I, of tone shaping. I have an expression pedal that yeah. I just use really as like an on-off if I'm tuning. Yeah. That's really it. Um, sometimes I'll use it if I'm playing a Les Paul 
and I have to do a swell or something because doing that with two knobs if you're in the middle position is dicey. Um, but outside of that, it's it's what's on the guitar. And yeah. you can you can be more expressive with the guitar and you can change your tone dramatically by turning down. In fact, I don't like the idea. I will say this regarding Trouble Bleed. I actually don't like the idea of the tone not changing mm-hmm. as I turn down. I want it to change. Yeah. But I want that taper to be that smooth audio taper. Yeah. Yeah, there's something where you start to realize the players in history that really made use of that volume just off the top of my head. Jeff Beck and Derek Trucks. Yeah. And Gilmore. I mean, those are three guys that I listen to a lot. I think they're extremely expressive in how they play. And it's really tremolo, volume, tone. Yep. Like using what's on the guitar itself, you know. Um, And a lot of people that listen that aren't like super big gear nerds always throw the same words that like, oh, they're so tasteful. They're so expressive. Mm -hmm. And that's what that is. You know, uh, can be pretty jarring when it's like everything's all on. All the time, yeah. And your tone changes come from kicking on a different pedal or something. Look, I was a band kid. Yeah. So for me, you know, music 101 from sixth grade was learning dynamics. Yeah. You know, what was Forte and Pianissimo and, you know, Mezzo Forte and and all that stuff. And so I think to truly express emotion through music, whether it's a symphonic orchestra or it's a blues band, requires dynamic range yeah you know which is interesting because i just watched this whole video on the blues breakers john mayall album with eric clapton and the tone was les paul blues breaker turned up to 10 whole time which it's like that's needed at a certain point to like break through that barrier of blues is british now Mm mm-hmm but then it's like you got to roll it back from there. It's like, let's go as loud and as hardcore as we can go and then see who gets the most kind of expressive dynamics. Well, and they also, you know, like what's done in the studio with an amp is very different from what ends up on the album once, a, you know, uh, it's mixed, you know, with, yeah. a, with an engineer. Well, that so. was the whole thing which blew me away is like he was playing all these clubs, Eric Clapton, when he yeah. became himself uh, and... It was the amp was dimed and that was the sound. And then they're like, we got to put this on a record to get it heard around the world. And he went into the studio and the engineer was like, all right, turn that down because it's getting into everything. And he walked out and he was like, I'm going to play at 10 or I'm not going to play at all. And then mixing the album, it's in every single room mic and drum mic and coming through the bass and the vocals and all that. And the next week, Isolation was born. Yeah. Seriously, it's like <laughs> nobody thought to like, let's get some blankets and plywood and put this thing in a box. It's funny. I mean, there's, retrospect's an interesting thing, but you listen to some of these things from artists from years ago. Um, it was Carlos Santana. He was talking about the first boogie. Yeah. And it was a modified Princeton, you know, that was made in this, you know, little music shop in the back, repairing amps and modifying them. And he went in in you know, the Bay Area and he played it and he's like says ah oh, this thing really boogies and so they named it and Mesa became what it is and now Gibson owns it but um you know before that he would the anecdote that I thought was funny is you take a twin and you dime it and then you'd like lay it down and then you'd cover it with like pillows or a mattress or something because it was so loud you know it's funny what these guys went through 
to create the sounds that they wanted that eventually turned into the gear that we have. Yeah. You know, you think about it, all the gear, all of that's happened over the years with amps and recording stuff and guitars to a lesser extent, I think, is uh, trying to answer the needs that musicians had. Yeah. Well, that's my list. I am glad that you were same page. I'm going to add an underrated one for you. What is it? A good acoustic pickup. Yeah. There's a lot of acoustic electric guitars out there with bad acoustic electric pickups. Yeah. And the other thing that's weird is like how divisive some are Mm -hmm. because one could say probably the most ubiquitous acoustic pickup in our day and age is the ES2. I'd say I'd say I would argue it's still the Fishman, just because of the number of affordable guitars. Well, maybe, but I mean, basic like, in on. terms of like pro grade instruments, you yes, know? and yeah. and I think it's interesting that Martin has not Martin or Gibson have not been like Taylor had this success with making a proprietary pickup that goes in pretty much everything. Why aren't we doing that? But because it's hard. I know, but <laughs> they got the resources, or they did. No, it's, um, it's hard to do. You know, here's I, I will say this, and this speaks to this is off topic, but it comes down to how companies integrate. Taylor is probably the most vertically integrated uh, company uh, next to Fender, right? You think about it, they make a lot of the stuff that goes in their guitars. Yeah. Yeah, outside the GoTo tuners, Taylor has their own brand of tuners, right? They make their own cases. They make their own pickup system. They're sourcing their own wood, et cetera, et cetera. That's all vertical integration. Fender does the same thing. They, you know, the cases, the, the tuners. Spruce, the spruce, the yes, tree. Exactly. But the pickups, you yeah. know. Um, and so some of these are vertically integrated. Gibson has their own pickups, but they don't have their own cases, yeah. right? And so to have their own pickup you know, maybe a partnership serves them better, but yeah, yeah, it comes down to how you kind of view things. I'm just the thing is with the ES2 is it's accessible. We've talked a lot about how you get the same ES2 on a 114e, and some people hate it. And that's the thing is like it's it's a great pickup that's in all of their guitars besides minis and stuff. Yeah, um, and some people still think like, oh, this is not a you know, I don't like how this sounds. But that's the thing about it is it's really amplifying well and as transparently as possible, like the sound of the guitar, you know? Yeah, I need, we, I've thought about doing a video. We could also do it as a podcast, but breaking down how the ES2 works um, versus most other piezo equipped pickups. Yeah. For, this is how geeky I am. For some weird reason, I was thinking about this as I drove in this morning. Um, but also why people tend to not like it and how they're setting things up and just from a gear standpoint, a guitarist, whether it's an electric guitarist or an acoustic guitarist, understanding gain stages uh-huh. in your in your signal path uh-huh. is an important thing to dialing in good tone. If as an as an electric guitar player, right, you if you don't want this ultra compressed sound going into the front of your amp, you better understand gain staging. Yeah, you know, same thing with acoustic guitars. Well, that's good for me. I think one day when we have the time and resources, we should take the same guitar and equip different pickups across it for the 2000 views we'll get on that video. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, it's yeah. like the day I did all the string. I, you know what? I, when I did the string test, I appreciated people commenting of like, that was obviously a lot of work. Cause if yeah. you haven't seen this video on YouTube, I took a Taylor 114 CE 
and I changed the strings on it like eight times in between demos so that but it was one of our biggest successes in terms of it was of, a lot of work yeah. was, and and Josh hated me cuz he had to wait for me to finish to, you know stringing and tuning a guitar after every take so fun times yeah well either way overrated underrated we can put together another list of more radical things but uh thanks for giving me your thoughts yeah yeah thanks for coming up with the questions that was fun <laughs> i love i love being opinionated <laughs> Me too. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm excited for some of the stuff that's coming out. Yeah. Um, things that we can't talk about yet. That if we'll you're cover. at Nam, come find me somewhere. Yeah, go find Cooper. Uh, he'll be standing I'll right be next to Stevie. Legs. He'll be next to Stevie Wonder. Um, what you got to do is play Nam uh, Bingo. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a great list of things that you'll How see at every Nam. inspired by motorcycles and hot rods uh, aesthetics are, am I going to see there? You know, How many you know, 50-year-old men with long hair that don't have any on top, wearing leather jackets? <laughs> How many Corvettes will in the you parking see? lot? Uh, yeah, it's a good time. And Stevie Wonder, he's everywhere. So I'm tell gonna, Stevie I said hi. I'm going to try and find Fred Armisen. I know he's hosting the awards, and I doubt that he'll be milling about the show but i'm gonna the breakfasts are really nice you'll enjoy that the food, I, i'm gonna miss the f- i don't i don't remember crab next to my eggs but yeah i'm gonna miss crab the food eggs. that's for sure so no I, i'm excited about what's coming up this year with some of the new uh releases that are coming so when y'all uh maybe hear this some of that will already come out i'm excited to make fun of some after they are released that too, too. yeah um and you know now that nam's this nam is happening in june we can't say it stands for not available maybe may but there is a lot of vaporware instruments that take place at NAMM, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see how much of that is happening yeah, this year. not available so, mid-March 2025. And going back to a question you had on a previous podcast, I'm hopeful that as we are moving out of the pandemic, that some of the companies start taking some more risks. Yeah. Um, I think some are, with some of the things I know that's coming out. I'd like to see more of it, so that's great. And uh, I think there's some exciting stuff going on with, in music. Oh, yeah. So... Um, so yeah, all good stuff as musicians. I'm excited for it. So that's good for me. That's all I got. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.